Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through, and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant, free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Today is a birth story episode and warning, this birth story involves a stillbirth. So if that may be too much for you, then you may want to skip this episode. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN physician, certified integrative health coach, and creator of the Birth Preparation Course, an online childbirth education class that will leave you feeling knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into your birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only, and it's not a substitute for medical advice. See the full disclaimer at ncrcoaching.com forward slash disclaimer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the podcast, episode number 35. Thank you so much for being here today. Now, today's episode is a birth story episode, and it is a birth story from an exceptionally brave woman named Tamika Isaac. Tamika and her husband, Brandon, experienced a devastating stillbirth with their son, Jace. And Tamika is coming on to share her birth story 
as a means of finding purpose through their very deep pain. Tamika and Brandon have also founded Jace's Journey, which is a nonprofit organization that is passionately working towards eliminating the disparities in Black maternal health through education, advocacy, communication, and community engagement. Now, this is a longer episode, but it is worth every single minute. So we are going to go ahead and get right into it with Tamika's birth story. Hey, Tamika, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about what I know is a very difficult story. I appreciate you sharing your knowledge to help other women through what can be a really challenging time. Thank you for having me. And like I said, thank you for having a platform for the discussion, because I think a lot of what I've learned since our situation is that a lot of people don't talk about what can go wrong when it doesn't always turn out the way we expect it. So I thank you for, you know, allowing me to actually share my story in the hopes of actually helping someone else share their story and to know that there are other people out there that they can connect with and maybe help them heal. Yeah, exactly. So why don't you start off just by telling us a little bit about yourself? I am born and raised in North Carolina, kind of been here my whole life. I work in compliance, so I am a compliance officer, actually transitioning jobs right now. Funny enough, I was actually a theater major, undergrad. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I love to shop. I love shoes and blazers and handbags. I love people. I laugh a lot. And I'm just kind of, I'm a chill, I'm a very chill person. I love movies and stuff like that, but overall, I'm just real chill. All righty. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and what about your husband, your family? My husband. So my husband, I met him like 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Actually, it was a little longer than that. We've been together a total of six years. So we were married almost four years ago. And I tell people like when we first met, he was like, that typical boy that had a crush, you know, like (laughs) every time I see him, he would like put me in like a headlock or some weirdness, you know, like some weirdness. Right. And he always like looks at me with the side eye when I say, and then he finally grew up. (laughs) So so about six years ago, he grew up and we actually started dating and got married. Like I said, a little under four years ago. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So let's talk about your pregnancy and the birth of baby Jace. Is that how you say it? Yes, it's Jace. Baby Jace. So how about we start with what was your prenatal care? So we found out I was pregnant in October of 2017. We had been trying probably about almost two years at that point. So I am at right now 42. So at that point, when we first got married, we were kind of going to wait. You know, like, oh, let's be married for a little bit first. And then I'm like, "Ah." I was 39. So I was like, "Eh, let's just go ahead. So we started trying. We actually tried for a year with, you know, no luck. So I went to my OB, you know, because I had gynecology every year, get a pap smear and all that stuff. So I just went to him and we talked a little bit about it. And he ran some tests and he was like, well, your egg count is low maybe you should consider in vitro. So I kind of scheduled an appointment with um, an endocrinologist and we went to the appointment and I got some blood work done, but there was just something about that to me that didn't feel right. So I just got the blood work done. They did the genetic testing and stuff like that, but I never really went back to actually get in vitro. 
we just continued to try. And then we finally, in October, found out we were pregnant with Jace. And it's so funny because he didn't believe me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and it's so weird because I had like made like a onesie that I got from Target, I think. And I just put baby Isaac, ironed like some letters on, I put baby Isaac on it. And I had taken two pregnancy tests at that point because he had to work that day. So I put him in a little box and put it, you know, the pregnancy test like in a Ziploc bag and stuff like that. And I wrote like, you know how you can go online and figure out like what the due date is and when you're going to hit the third trimester and all that stuff. So I wrote all the information in a card and gave it to him. And he's looking at me like, are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) I would never play this joke on you. Right, right. You know, we were super excited. and. I hadn't had any morning sickness. The only reason why I knew I was pregnant was because my cycle didn't start. And my pregnancy was amazing. Like he was an amazing baby to carry. Like no morning sickness. I didn't really gain a lot of weight. He did normal stuff. I didn't have any crazy cravings or anything like that. At that point, I assumed my prenatal care was fine. Again, I'm a very chill person. So it's kind of like I've been going to my doctor for years. I didn't have a reason not to trust the process. I didn't know exactly what the process was and what was required. So I didn't know what I didn't know. Gotcha. And early on, they told me that I was high risk because of my age. And he put me on a low dose of baby aspirin to help prevent me from getting preeclampsia. And, you know, I pretty much followed every thing they asked me to do. So I ended up being anemic also. So they put me on iron. So I was taking the prenatal vitamin, the aspirin every morning, and then the iron pills, you know, throughout my pregnancy. So your pregnancy overall was very smooth. It was very, very smooth. Like I can't complain at all. Did you have an opportunity to even start thinking about getting ready for birth? Had you done anything to prepare for that at all or? No, like I didn't really have a plan. You know, I was just kind of like waiting on nature to kind of take its course. They did say, you know, because of my age that they would probably induce me at, I think it was 37 weeks, just because they were saying the longer we go because of my age, the more risk there was to the baby. Expecting parents who are looking for great nursery decor, this message is for you. As you prepare for the beautiful journey ahead, let Home Threads be your partner in creating a serene nest for your growing family. At HomeThreads.com, explore a collection designed for comfort and style during this special time. From cozy nursery essentials to soothing rocking chairs, Home Threads has everything to create the perfect home for your little one and always at the best value. If you like unique items, then you definitely need to check out Home Threads. We got a silver picture frame from Home Threads that is absolutely beautiful. It's one of those timeless classic items that will last for years to come and it fits in any space in your home. Be sure to visit homethreads.com forward slash Dr. Nicole today and receive a code for 15% off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. 
Okay. So then when did things change? Things changed the night of Mother's Day 2018. I woke up that night and my stomach hurt. So it felt more like, it didn't feel like a sharp pain. It felt more like a stomach ache. Okay. And how far along were you at that point? 35 weeks and about three, four days. You know, I got up, it was like probably three, four o'clock in the morning. My husband knows specifically what time. And I tried to use the bathroom and it kind of didn't work. Like I couldn't go. It literally felt like a stomach ache. And I'd eaten some weird stuff, you know, like a weird combination of stuff at my mother-in-law's house. I was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. So I threw up. I threw up a couple of times and then it kind of just went away. So, you know, constipation at the most, right? Mm-hmm. So Monday morning, well, I woke up and I felt sore, you know, like when your body feels sore. And I just assumed that it was because I was throwing up. I hadn't thrown up, you know, in a while. So I was like, oh, I was probably just sore from throwing up. But I didn't feel well. And again, I'm thinking like in my head, maybe I got like, food poisoning from this mixture of crap that I ate yesterday. I texted my manager and I told her, you know, I was like, I'm not feeling well. I literally said, I think I have like food poisoning or something. And I kind of took the day off and kind of laid around. My husband was worried because I don't call into work. So he asked my best friend to come over and stay with me. And so I kind of laid in bed like all day. I mean, there really wasn't a lot going on. I was just kind of like, tired. So I was just kind of laying around. And then I asked her to come help me go to the bathroom or whatever. And she did. And when I stood up, I passed out. Oh my God. Yeah. So I actually came to and I could hear her. She was on the phone with 911. And in my head, this goes by really quickly, but I know in actuality, it was like a longer period of time, but they actually came and, you know, they got me And they had to put me in like this weird stairs situation to get me downstairs. And I was kind of like in and out. I remember them asking me questions about like, you know, who's the president? Do you know what day it is? You know, the usual stuff like that. And they got me down. I went on the back of the ambulance. They rushed me to the closest ER, which is actually in North Carolina. So I got there. And, you know, by the time I got there, a lot of my family members that live here were mostly friends, but, you know, they're family. They live here. A lot of them were at the hospital by that time. So my husband was there and I had been talking to my mom, like on the phone, like on and off because my best friend, she was actually talking to my mother when I came to. And so she just gave me the phone and was telling my mom that, you know, keep me awake, you know, just keep talking to me or whatever. So we finally got, you know, to the ER and my husband was there. And I remember being on the phone with my mother and I was like, they don't know what they're doing because they were like hooking me up to IVs and ultrasounds and all that stuff. And it just got really weird. Like a lull kind of just went over the ER room. And I told her, I was like, I don't think they know what they're doing. So you weren't at a labor and delivery? No, they took me to the ER. Did that hospital have a labor and delivery? Yeah, they do. Well then why? Okay. Well, you know what? Keep telling your story. Yeah. (laughs) Because usually, I mean, in my experience, if you're, over a certain week's number of pregnant, you don't go to the ER. You pretty much go straight to labor and delivery. Nope. Okay. Yeah, I was in the ER and then they did the ultrasound 
And that's when that kind of lull happened. And then uh, somebody came in and they were like, we don't hear a fetal heartbeat. And me and my husband were devastated. Like, we were like, what are you talking about? Like, what do you mean? And then she proceeds to tell me, you have help syndrome. And I'm like, "Mm, what is that? So they had taken labs and stuff and realized that my protein levels were really high. I have a friend that used to be a labor and delivery nurse. And when she saw my urine, she's like, Mika, have they not been doing urine tests on you? And I was like, no, because she saw that how dark it was. She was like, it was almost black. And I'm like, eh, I never noticed that. I don't know if it was something that happened suddenly, but that's what she said. And then they said, well, we're going to have to induce you, but we can't do it here. So we're going to have to transfer you to the main hospital. So I was waiting to get transported. And, they and were I'm sorry, do you me, mind me asking, when they told you there was no heartbeat, did you think like, like you said, what does that mean? Can you get the heartbeat back? This is one of the things that it's always awful to communicate that type of information. But I feel like sometimes we do it in a way that's confusing for families. Did you feel confused by what was going on? I was on? confused that whole entire time. Mm. I was confused because, like I said, I felt like I think they were just trying to figure out how to tell us. And it was like a really awkward moment. I was confused because I was out of it. Like I was literally dying and had no idea I was dying. And then I just remembered hurting, you know, like literally just hurting. And then I didn't ask any questions. It's just, I think in my head, I knew because of how awkward it was at that moment. So no, I just, I asked them, I was like, can I have a C-section? Because I really didn't want to be induced and then to have him and him not be alive. You know, right. it was like, and, yeah, I just felt like that was really cruel. And did you have any issues with blood pressure at all? Before? I never No. So my blood pressure, the highest it ever got was 122 over... I think it was like 80. So it's not preeclampsia high, but my normal blood pressure is probably about 110 over 70. Okay. At the most, you know, like my blood pressure is very normal. So you get there, you find out, unfortunately, that your baby has died and you have help syndrome. And let me just say real quick for everybody. Which I have no idea what that is, right? What you have, right. And how serious that is. This is the most severe form of preeclampsia where it affects your liver. It affects your platelets and your ability for your blood to clot. Sometimes it'll affect your kidneys. So all of a sudden you're being told all of these things. And then they say they want to transfer you to another hospital. So... I'm waiting. And this hospital wasn't the hospital I was actually supposed to deliver in. It was just the closest one. So when they were like, well, we need to transfer you. I said, well, can you transfer me to the hospital I'm supposed to deliver in? Because 
that's where my records are. That's where my doctors are and stuff like that. She called them. And all of this is really weird. Like, you know, looking back, like the things that they were telling me, it's just really weird. So what they said was they didn't have anybody there to monitor my heart. Because my heart rate was like between 140, like it was high. That's high. Yeah. Yeah, it was high and it kept going up and down. It was never normal and it would not be normal for like three weeks after that. So we're waiting and they said the other hospital couldn't take me because they didn't have anybody to monitor my heart. They couldn't do the induction there because they didn't have anybody to monitor my heart. So they were transferring me to Maine. I'm in transit to Maine when one of the surgeons looks at my record, looks at my labs, and realizes I'm bleeding internally. Oh, my goodness. So the ER had no idea that I was bleeding internally. And they were about to induce me. It just so happened, (laughs) by the grace of God, they didn't have anybody to monitor my heart. Because if not, I would have died. So I don't know any of this is going on. I'm in the ambulance at this point on my way to Maine to be induced on the labor and delivery floor when the call comes in that I have to go into emergency surgery as soon as I get there. When I get there, there's a room full of surgeons, literally TV room full of surgeons. It's like ER, Grey's Anatomy house, all of that. And one of them says to me, we're going to give you a C-section. And I remember being really confused again because we had just had the conversation Mm -hmm. about not being able to do the C-section. Right. And at that point, they put me out. I'm unconscious. They cut me open. They get him out. I'm bleeding. There's a liter of blood in my abdomen. There's a hematoma on my liver that's the size of a softball, and they can't stop the bleeding. I had two surgeries. Hematoma, everybody, it's a big blood clot on the liver. Yeah. And then you said you had two surgeries that night. So they opened me up. They took him out. So I had the C-section and then the exploratory surgery to figure out what was going on. And then that's when they found the hematoma or the blood clot on my liver. And then they kept me open because they packed my abdomen with, I guess, what we would call sponges to try to stop the bleeding. And I almost coded, I think, and they had to do it again. So they had to go in twice that night to actually take the sponges out and put the sponges back in. Oh, my gosh. Do you ever remember them saying something called DIC at all? Okay. It's when your Mm -hmm. blood doesn't clot properly. And it can happen with preeclampsia where your blood just doesn't clot right. And you can just bleed and bleed and bleed. No, I don't remember. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah, no, it's, it's not a big deal. So they took you back to the OR, did the packing. I'm sure you had gotten all kinds of transfusions and things by yeah. this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's lots of transfusions. I almost went into cardiac arrest once. And this is from my husband. Like, 
the details of the first two days of me being there, from that moment where she said C-section, I would not wake up completely until Wednesday. So that Monday, I didn't wake up until Wednesday. And when I woke up, I didn't know anything about the first two days. All I knew was that Jace had died. And they said they were giving me a C-section. So I literally, a few times that night apparently, almost died. And they really weren't sure if I was going to make it. Mm -hmm. So my whole family, of course, was brought in to the hospital. My mom lives in Tennessee, so she came and everybody was there. So I woke up Wednesday morning and it was just really weird because I was, of course, swollen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was intubated. I had mitts on. I was hooked up to every tube you could possibly think of. I had a wrap around my abdomen because I was still open. They still hadn't closed me up. And my mom, because Jace had been in my room the whole time, because they didn't know if I was going to wake up. And my family, you know, they were able to visit with him and love on him and stuff like that. And she asked me if I wanted to hold him. And I said, well, I shook my head yes, because again, I'm intubated and I can't talk. And they were able to take the mitts off because I think like the nurses were like trying to get him out of the room because he had been in the room so long. And it was kind of like a really rushy situation. So I can't see. Right. So I wear contacts, medically necessary contacts. And I didn't have those on. I didn't have my glasses. So I'm like playing charades with my family, trying to get them to understand that I can't see. So even if I held them, I can't see right now. So my best friend actually had my glasses. So I had to borrow Brandon, who's my husband. I had to borrow his glasses. And I think I held him maybe, I don't even know. It was a very brief period of time. It was just like, for me, like after all that, you know, we went through and that moment is the hardest because I felt like, or I feel like it was stolen from me because I never, I didn't get to say anything. I couldn't say anything. I couldn't really see him. And it was just so, it was so rushed and so confusing because of course I'm just waking up and they're trying to get him out of the room. And my mom is, you know, trying to do her best to like hold herself together Oh my God, that is so hard. And I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I'm like, sorry. <laughs> okay. Just to know, like, on the other side of it, like, it could have been avoided. Like, we didn't have to be in that situation that they put me in to where I didn't get to say goodbye to my son and completely change my life. Right. You know, because I stayed in the hospital like I was in ICU for I think about 10 days. I moved around a few times because they were trying to regulate my heart rate, which would not regulate. They had cut me open. So I think they finally closed me up maybe on Saturday for sure. But they had to also install mesh because they cut me so deep. I had that point had a hernia, 
which I still have. So I was in the hospital from May 14th until June 1st. They released me June 1st and I had a fever, but I had a fever for like the whole time I was there. Every night I would have a fever. Okay. So I was home for about a week. And then that Friday, which would have been June 8th, I had a home health nurse because at that point I had a wound vac, which is basically, well, you know what it is. So it's like a machine that is connected to a sponge that drains your abdomen or your surgery scar with fluid. It helps your body to heal faster, basically, is what it's supposed to do. So I had that and I had a home health nurse. So she came and changed it, changed it out. And that night, for some reason, it started leaking. So I had to call her and bring her back. And she was like, okay, this smells really weird. I need you to go back to the ER. Mind you, Jace's memorial or his funeral was the next day. So at eight o'clock at night, June 8th, we go back to the ER. You know how ERs are. So we're there forever. Five o'clock in the morning, they're like, we want you to be admitted to the hospital. We think you have an infection. And I'm telling them, like, my son's funeral is tomorrow. And they're like, well, you can go, but we need for you to come back as soon as possible. Me and my husband were kind of just like, it's five o'clock in the morning. My son, Jace, is buried next to my father, which is like an hour, well, actually three and a half hours away from here. So my husband and I made a decision that we were not going to go to his funeral. And my mom and his mom and our families will just kind of like hold it down, kind of like take care of it. We also missed his funeral. And I missed the other opportunity I would have to actually physically say goodbye to my son. I ended up staying in the hospital for 28 more days. So the infection was in my liver. So I had to have a surgery. So they cut off part of my liver. It ended up being seven surgeries, and I can't recall all of them right now. Right. So, yeah, it ended up being seven surgeries. I was in the hospital for a total of about 45, 46 days. And when I came home, I was connected to a drainage pump for my liver. I had a drainage pump for my lungs because they had started to build fluid. And I had the wound back. I literally had, I think, a fever from the time I went back to the hospital on June 8th until probably a week before I got out. Like every single night I would have a fever because of the infection. I was on so many antibiotics. And, you know, I had, I think the nurse was like, I think you've had more visitors than anybody I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's nice that you were at least surrounded by love. And I'm sure that helped. Yeah, and I think that that part was, you know, talking about how did you get through it is really what it was. And, you know, from the loss of Jace, I think me having to fight to get out of the hospital kind of like pushed the grief aside for a moment. Because, I mean, you were focusing on your life. Like, you were trying to live. Trying to live. And they, I mean, for a while, they really didn't know what was happening. Like, they didn't know. And then, like, everything that they had done was just something they figured out. Because the one doctor, her name is Dr. Rachel McCabe, and I call her my angel because she's the only one that saw the blood in my abdomen. 
when she realized it was there, she called in four teams of surgeons. So those four teams figured out how to save me. So what they did for me, they had never done. Because anybody who has ever had help as severe as I did, they're dead. I mean, when you have like a surgeon telling you that you're a miracle, like that's deep, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That's deep. So how long did it take you to get disconnected from the wound back and the tube from your liver Uh, and your... So the liver is an amazing organ, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the wound back I got released in, well, I went back to work in October. So probably, no, wait, I think it was August because my cousin got married in August and I was able to go to her wedding. And so I think it was August that I got released from the wound back. And then I think I got cleared from the liver in August too. No, that that maybe had been September, but I literally still have a small hole right now that because they cut me so deep has, it's still taken a very long time for it to heal. And where it sits is like right where my bra hits. Cause I, would try to like not cover it to get it some air right? <laughs> in my head it needed air <laughs> and I think my bra would hit it and kind of open it back up so it literally still is a very tiny hole that's like right at the flesh level that is still trying to like close over I actually have multiple hernias so I can literally feel my bowels because I don't have abs because they cut my abs and moved them to the side. So I will have to have another surgery to get mesh to place over to fix the hernias. So I'm still like healing, like my body's still healing. You know, I'm physically able to do pretty much anything. Yeah, but but you're still not. I'm still. Not 100%. Yeah. Yeah, not at all. No, no. I'm close, but you know. I mean, you're you're at a year now, right? A little over. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I got out of the hospital July 5th of last year. Okay. So, yeah, right. right So, like, at this moment, I was still in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Now, did you have a chance to talk with your doctor after all of this? Never. Nope. Was that by choice or you just didn't want to go back to him or? No, I didn't want to go back to them. Okay. When I left the hospital, I went and I looked at my records. Because a lot of people, whenever they realized what happened to me, they were really shocked. I didn't really understand why everybody was so shocked because I guess I didn't know enough about all of it. I thought it was just like a one-off. I don't know. I just, I didn't know what happened. You know, I didn't know how it happened. I didn't know why it happened. I didn't know what happened. Even like people were telling my mom, she's like, they really should have caught that. Like they should have caught something. So just to give you a little bit of insight, on May 4th, because I was at the point where I was going to the doctor every week, May 4th, they said he was measuring small. And they sent me to get an ultrasound. And they didn't really say anything about the ultrasound, but they didn't seem like there was a problem. Like, it didn't seem like anything was wrong. Well, actually, you know what? They couldn't see the flow of the umbilical cord. It was blocked according to my records. So the next week was May 10th and I went back to the doctor and they said he failed a non-stress test. 
So they sent me to get another ultrasound at maternal fetal medicine. On May 14th, Jace was dead. Did you ever feel like his movement decreased or anything? Or was there anything? I didn't. You said you didn't feel well, but. Yeah, it didn't. Because he was moving Sunday night or Sunday before, you know, I got sick. And I didn't notice that it was like mm-hmm, different. different. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like right. he was moving fine to me. I wasn't counting kicks. I probably should have been. But no, again, no, no, hindsight's no, 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 no. Yeah, no. But it wasn't that you felt anything different. No, I didn't until, you know, my stomach started hurting. And then looking at, you know, the way people describe like health pain, it didn't feel like pain. It felt like I just needed to use the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, mm-hmm. but they didn't test me for anything. So the last urine sample they gave me was in November, which was in my second appointment. They did blood work on March 22nd, which was the first day of my third trimester. And that was it. My whole pregnancy. My blood platelet count was like 114,000 when I got to the ER. Right. Right. Which is is definitely low. Yeah. Obviously, I don't have your records and I can't second guess or, you know, anything that happened. But it sounds like you're saying that they hadn't checked your urine at any of your visits, except for you said. They did the verification of pregnancy and then. That was it. But you have been getting your blood pressure checked at every visit, I presume. Yeah, they checked my blood pressure. But I was also high risk. So. Right, right, <laughs> right. It's just kind of weird. This is so heartbreaking, of course. And it's also one of the things that I'm feeling, I'll just give you my perspective as an OBGYN is that preeclampsia can develop so quickly, which is why we're very fearful of it when things do happen. It can be very difficult to know kind of what's going on. Obviously, I can't second guess and see whether or not anything could have been done differently. Or even if I could honestly say that even if I had checked your protein and your protein was a little, I don't know, with the other stuff going on though, with the ultrasound and I'm just thinking out loud and just Wishing I could give you an answer or some understanding of what happened because it's just so devastating. You know, I've talked to people since, you know, all this has happened and I get exactly what you're saying. Like if given the situation, if, you know, my blood pressure wasn't high, which it wasn't, and you didn't check my urine, which was somehow not standard for me, but standard for everybody else. Yeah, that I don't understand. Maybe, you know. Yeah, it's just kind of like, I get it. I get it is possible that it developed so fast that they weren't able to catch it. But I'm in compliance. That's my life. So it's kind of like, it angers me that you tell me that I'm high risk for something. And medically, anything can happen, right? Like, you can apparently get preeclampsia and not have high blood pressure, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are your other tests for this? That's the problem. Preeclampsia And is there's so obviously tricky. not enough yeah. known about it mm-hmm. to dismiss a test, you know, because right. of, you know, certain circumstances or certain situations, you can't always account for one thing. I didn't have high blood pressure. Jay's measured small. He also failed the stress test. 
for me, holistically, maybe let's do another test. She is high risk for preeclampsia. She is over the maternal age or multivita of that right, <laughs> thing right. that tells you you're old. <laughs> yeah, multigravid. <laughs> <laughs> That awful word. Elder, yes. Elderly, elderly multigravita. Yes. That's it. <laughs> you know, and I understand where you are. Like, and you yourself admit you don't understand, right? But I understand your viewpoint. I understand how you're thinking about it. And I do too. I get it. But I also understand that there's a standard of care. Yeah. So if you tell one of your patients that they're high risk for something, it is your job to make sure you're testing them for that thing that they're high risk for. And yes, they were checking my blood pressure, but I can guarantee you I am not the first person to ever get preeclampsia and not have high blood pressure or health syndrome. And I know that because I'm in Facebook groups with a bunch of people who have had the same situation. It's very tricky. Being honest and giving you my perspective as an OBGYN, but I obviously see your perspective that you want to have known that in this particular situation, that everything possible was done. And not saying that it would make you feel better necessarily, but Mm -hmm. maybe you could have a little more piece about it I don't know if you felt piece. like yeah if you yeah. felt like everything like they had did been everything done. they possibly mm-hmm. could do to prevent me and my son from what we went through and you don't feel that way right now and they can't say they did though. right I agree yeah they can't they can't say they did so has your doctor at all reached out to you to talk about nope never nope never contacted you nothing never have not heard from that practice Because, you know, like a lot of practices these days have you go to different doctors because, oh, we don't know who you're going to, who's going to deliver your baby. So we want you to meet everyone. Right. So out of that practice, I probably went to like five of them. But my main OBGYN, the one I had normally gone to for regular pap smears and stuff like that, he had taken like a management role. So I'd only really seen him the first time, my very first appointment. And then I think like one other time. But no, I've not heard from the practice, him, or any of the other doctors in that practice. And they know. Right. So let me ask you this. Do you think it would have made you feel better if someone had reached out to talk to you about what happened from the practice? I don't think so. I think it would have been a really hard conversation I had. Okay. And I honestly never really expected them to reach out to me. And people have asked me that before. Like, you're not the first person to ask me that question, but I don't know. Like, I don't think it would have changed anything. This is just so heartbreaking. And again, you are phenomenally strong for coming on and being able to discuss what is obviously a very painful and difficult situation on so many levels. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favor to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy Into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. 
Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. How have you been able to deal with this grief? I have a lot of support. My husband's amazing. Locally, we actually go to, it's called Kindermorn. And what they do, they're a nonprofit organization. And they were actually recommended by one of my friends who's a social worker and a few of the nurses at the hospital because they kind of specialize in stillbirth therapy, like grief therapy when it comes to like losing children or children losing parents and things like that. So we started as a group, like say we did a group therapy session and it was very helpful to talk to other people who have been through similar situations. Mm -hmm. And I say similar situations because like I've met a lot of people, I won't say a million, but I've met a lot of women because I've kind of become an advocate for Black maternal health specifically. And I've met a lot of women who have had similar situations, but I'm always still kind of on this island by myself because of, like you said, like this situation is, it's so different. It's like just different. It's very <laughs> it's just rare. a little different. Yeah. It's rare in this aspect of how everything played out, mm -hmm. like how everything happened, but it literally like people given birth. Well, the maternal mortality rate is high. Well, higher than it should be. I'll say that. Mm -hmm. Kindermorn has actually helped us as far as like therapy and, you know, communication and trying to figure out like our lives after this and how to move forward. What are your lives like now? How are you moving forward? They're crazy. Our lives are crazy. <laughs> oh my God. So much has happened in the last year. And like, if I tell you, you're going to be like, seriously, really, that's not possible. So I told you we're buying a house now. We're trying to sell our old one. I actually got laid off from my job, but I have a new one. We had a miscarriage. When I tell you this year has been like, up and down and over and under. That's how it's been. I literally started a new job this week. I literally flew back here to South Carolina last night. I have flown out on day. And then we're just, you know, trying to move, trying to schedule. Like, it's just been a crazy, crazy year. We started a nonprofit. It's called Jace's Journey. And, you know, we're basically trying to bring awareness to Black maternal health. 
because we have the highest rate of maternal mortality and maternal morbidity and stillbirths in the country. And we don't talk about it. And I just don't want anybody else, if I can help it, to go through what I went through. It pains me. Like, it keeps me up at night knowing what I know now. You know what I mean? Like, going into this, I had no idea that I needed to know way more than I knew when I got pregnant. I trusted an industry to do what they were supposed to do. And I trusted my doctor to do his job or to do their jobs to the best of their ability. And I feel, and, you know, people may not agree with me, that they didn't. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if we can let people know, hey, you know, I didn't know the symptoms of preeclampsia for a fetus. Anytime I've ever talked about preeclampsia prior to me getting help syndrome, everybody always talks about blood pressure. So for me, oh, well, I don't have preeclampsia. My blood pressure is fine. But I didn't know you could get help syndrome without having high blood pressure. I didn't know that. It's not common, but it does happen. Yeah. You know, I didn't know the other symptoms of preeclampsia. I didn't know about the protein in your urine. I didn't know about the blood platelet counts more of a help syndrome thing, but I didn't know about that. I didn't know that, you know, me being high risk should have caused concern for more tests. I didn't know that. I hear exactly what you're saying, but I hope you're not beating yourself up about that because you're not expected to know that. And that's the thing. I wasn't expected to know, but I feel like we have to know now. You know what I mean? Yeah, or at least have some because basic knowledge. Because I feel like knowledge. if I'd have known, if I'd have known more. I hope you don't think that it's you, It's really you know, hard because. Please don't beat yourself up that, you know, if you would have known something <laughs> different, that there could have been a different outcome. I hope you don't feel that way and put that pressure on yourself at all because you were doing all the right things, all the right things. Uh, thank you. but. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I'm just. Mm. You're just an amazingly strong, brave woman is what you are. You really are. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I hear what you're saying that, unfortunately, it is a system where in like five minute visits or, you know, Tommy checks yeah. that you do need to arm yourself with more education. And that's what it sounds like you're doing with your work and your foundation. That's our goal. That is our goal. Well, we are just about out of time, but I would <laughs> like to, to please mention, and we'll, I'll link all this in the show notes. What are the you know web addresses and places or Facebook or wherever? Where can people find you? I am on Facebook as Tamika James Isaac. We also have our nonprofit Facebook page, which is Jace's Journey. I have an Instagram, Jace's Journey Inc. is an Instagram. I'm on Instagram as Miss James, now Isaac. And I think that's it. Okay. I'm on Twitter, but I don't tweet a lot. Gotcha. So <laughs> I have that, but I don't really use it. Yeah, yeah. So one final question. What would be your most important piece of advice that you would tell women who are listening to this, if they're pregnant, what would be your one most important piece of advice? Advocate for yourself, read, 
ask questions, no matter how crazy they are, ask questions. And if you don't like the answers, find another OB. Just know your body. Yeah. I didn't really have a lot of symptoms and stuff. So I can't really relate to people who said my doctors weren't listening to me and stuff like that because I didn't really have any pain until it was like at the end. Like I said, it really wasn't pain. But know your body. Pay attention to it. Count the kicks. Again, I didn't really notice a difference, but count them because there probably could have been, but I wasn't really, they didn't seem like anything was wrong. So I didn't think anything was wrong until everything went wrong. Do some research, reach out. If you're pregnant and you just want to talk to somebody about being pregnant or what to expect or talk to somebody that's been through it. And if, you know, for people who have like gone through stillbirths or help syndrome or preeclampsia and you need an outlet, reach out to people and talk to them because your story could help somebody in the long run and you can probably save a life. So just know your body, advocate for yourself. Things don't seem right. They probably aren't. Mm -hmm. Well, your story is undoubtedly going to help so many women. And I cannot thank you enough for your strength, for your bravery, for your courage, for your grace to come on and share your story today. I am very, very grateful. Thank you. And I know the listeners will be too. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I really appreciate you again for even having a platform for people to even share their stories. So thank you for that. You're helping me understand even more so the importance of having this type of platform because you've just given me a window that I've never really had before. And it's important. You know, I've just learned so much personally. I can't even like wrap my mind and heart around this whole situation. It's just, oh my goodness. Like I said, you're just incredibly brave and strong. So thank you. Thank you. Well, we will stay in touch and I will link to all of that stuff that you talked about in the show notes. And please take care with everything with your move and the new things that are Thank happening. You. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so much stuff. Yes. Oh my gosh. And new job and all that stuff. Yeah. It's crazy. I'm telling you. Yeah. All right. Well, you take care. But thank you yeah. again. Okay. You take care. You Tamika. Too. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. So obviously that was a very difficult story and I am very grateful that Tamika took some time to share her story with us. Tamika is so strong. I actually talked to her for a bit after we recorded this conversation and I really admire her so much. After the end of every episode, I do something called Nicole's Notes. And here are my notes for this episode. And really it's just one thing that I want you to take away. And that is that this is not typical for preeclampsia. Most women who have preeclampsia do not go on to develop HELP syndrome. And most women who have preeclampsia do not have a stillbirth. Stillbirth itself actually is not very common. So I don't want you to walk away from this with that sense of overwhelming worry or fear that this is likely going to happen to you because it's not. Unfortunately, bad things, however, do happen in pregnancy. Sometimes it's someone's fault and sometimes it's not. It's always incredibly difficult when this happens, but again, know that it's not common. And I am so thankful that Tamika came on with us 
to share her very difficult story. And she's just so brave how she's trying to make the best out of her baby Jace's son's death. All right, so that is it for this episode of the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts, that's formerly known as iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And I would really appreciate it if you leave a review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other women find my show and it helps the show to grow. Also, let me take a quick moment to remind you about my free online class, How to Make Your Birth Plan the Right Way. I do this class live, so not very frequently. You can register for it at ncrcoaching.com forward slash register. That link will be in the show notes. Women love this class and I know that you will enjoy it too. Now, next week on the podcast, I have another episode on preeclampsia. I actually have a maternal fetal medicine specialist who's going to come on and kind of really break down preeclampsia for us, what it is, what the risks are, and some ways to prevent it potentially. So come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a healthy and happy pregnancy and birth. Today's episode is brought to you by Women's Wellness Coaching by Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins. Head to ncrcoaching.com to check out my free one-hour mini course on how to make your birth plan, as well as my comprehensive online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course. With over eight hours of content and a private course community, the birth preparation course will leave you knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into your birth. Head to ncrcoaching.com to learn more. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.